It's so good to see some people here. For those who are, who are online watching or if you're listening, so good to have you with us. Uh, the last three weeks we spent on a little series, three-week series on remembering Jesus. And the whole focus of that was just to, it's sometimes we, other things, uh, you know, the stresses of life and whatever can take prominence in our life. And things that should be important get pushed to the side. And that, that includes many things, but the one thing is our following of Jesus and Jesus being central in our heart. But then there's also this, what Jesus calls us to, that Jesus, it's a new life that Jesus calls us to. We use those words a lot. And, and what exactly does that mean? So we're going to camp there for a bit between now and the Advent series. And we've, I've entitled that The Way, A Life Worth Living. So I don't know if you've ever had conversations with anybody and somebody says something like that's very, how would I describe it, uh, profound, <laughs> profound that it sticks with you and it doesn't go away. I had that earlier this week. I, uh, I met with my brother, Brian. He's a retired pastor and uh, we met for breakfast and um, we were chatting about you know, what brothers would talk about, anything and everything. But eventually, because he, he pastored for over 40 years, we came to the talk about the state of the church, social media, things going on in politics, you know, the, the usual stuff that you would talk about. And, um, and then it led to a conversation about, not a conversation, he just happened to mention about something to do with end times. And for me, I'm like... I didn't know where he was going to go with that. And I've heard, I remember all the way back into my teen years hearing, oh, we're in the end times, we're in the end times, we're in the end times. And it's like, you know what? Jesus says he doesn't know when he's coming back. So I'll rest in the fact that I don't know and I don't want to try and see every crisis that takes place on planet Earth as the end times because crises have been taking place all along. Anyway, I mentioned something like that to him. And he goes, I think of Jesus's words in Matthew, because he he actually did a thesis on Matthew. Like he actually wrote a book on Matthew, where Jesus says, for false messiahs and false prophets will rise up and perform great signs and wonders so as to deceive, if possible, even God's chosen ones. And then Brian makes this observation that we are susceptible to deception probably more now than ever in the time of history with social media and the media in general. And when he said that, it was like, I just, my head, I think you're right, maybe. <laughs> and I have to think that one through more. But I felt the weight of that, that observation of his. And when you think about it, people don't know who to believe anymore. Like, really, you don't know. It's that erosion that has taken place, right? We are being manipulated more now with social media. And, and there's a documentary that was out there. I don't know if it still is. The Social Dilemma. If you haven't seen it, it's eye-opening to discover just how manipulated we can be as people. It is actually... Um, frightening in some ways. But the message, and when I talk about message, words and action coming from the church at times is at the very best mixed. And at the worst, it's 
confusing at times because you look at the behavior that comes from people who are followers of Christ. It's people scratch their heads, right? It's, it's, and we shouldn't be surprised either. So there's people who are, they monitor trends in culture and society. They're also monitor trends within the church in North America and around the globe. Like they look very scientifically at things going on. And they are collectively, all of them are saying there is a drain. They use, these are the words they use, not me. A drain taking place within the church in North America some even say that people are leaving in, they use the word droves. Now, I understand to get people's attention, you use shocking words, and it gets people's attention. But nonetheless, it is recognized that this is actually taking place. And it's easy to blame the media. Yes, they take some responsibility. It's easy for us to, you know, I've, I've heard people say it's, the enemy is full on attack of the church. Yes, however, the enemy has always been against the church. The enemy's never had, well, you know, I'm okay with them. <laughs> never, right? Never. <laughs> but I'm not sure that's what it is because I think sometimes we need to take a look within ourselves. Sometimes by our actions and our words, we feed the media. We give them stuff to talk about. Now, they do go after the, you know, the, the most salacious things, right? Because that's going to get more clicks you know, on the apps or on, more reads, more newspapers, more magazines purchased, all that stuff. And I get all that. And I, but I sometimes wonder if the enemy doesn't have to work so hard or attack so hard. Because if we're attacking one another, you basically got to sit back, just let them go, right? They'll, they'll, look after, they'll do the work for me. And... The enemy may not be as involved as we think. And I thought about and prayed about the state of the church for quite some time. And I know it's not just me, because leaders from all over, when I talk to pastors within our city, when you listen to the different conversations going on out there, leaders from all different streams of the Christian church are, are asking questions. And there's one thing that keeps rising up all the time, one thing. And, and the question is, have we been putting so much energy into the building the institution, so much energy into, you know, big Sunday productions, that's, that's the words being used, if we put so much energy that we've forgotten the one thing, one task Jesus gave us, right? Make disciples. Matthew 28, right? 19 and 20. It was the one task Jesus gave the church to do. Go make disciples. Now, here's the thing. Here's what I want to make sure you understand, too. I don't want you to think, oh, bad us. Look at us. We've messed it up. Hey, it's not like the church has been trucking along for 2,000 years and doing just superbly at everything they've been doing. Then all of a sudden, our generation or our last 50 years of people have come along and messed it all up. Uh-uh. You go down through church history, you see this over and over and over and over again, all the way back to the early church. Because if you pay attention to the letters written to the churches from Paul, from John, from Peter, from James, from Jude, they're all addressing, guys, you've gone off track, you need to get back on track. You've lost your focus, you've gone off mission, get back on mission. There's always this pull to get back on, don't forget, don't forget. So it's, it's, it's not us. There's something, there's something there 
that sometimes we go off. And what came to mind was if you ever have gone to a traditional church, sung the hymns, there's a hymn that I remember singing uh, growing up in church. It's called, uh, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. And there's a line in there that says in one of the stanzas, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. We're prone. We're prone to do that. It's in there. It happens. And here's a, here's a song that was written in the 18th century, 18th century, and same thing then. And it was the same thing in the 10th century. It was the same thing back in, back in the early church. Prone to wander. It's why the writer in Hebrews had to say, don't, for, don't forsake the assembly, right? I think I'm using King James language there. Where'd that come from? I don't know. It comes. It sneaks out every now and then. And I wonder, and I've asked myself the question, because I, I, Jesus and I, we have a lot of conversations together. And one of the things I've had to wonder is this for myself. Do I, do I take Jesus' words seriously? Now, I know the right answer is yes, but I have to back up again and go, do I take his words seriously? Like, do I really, do I get it? Because sometimes I wonder if they're just church words or religious words or Christian words that I say yes to, but I don't really take it seriously and his call. Like Jesus said in John 10, 10, that while the enemy came to kill, steal, kill, and destroy, he said that I came to give us a rich and satisfying life. Rich and satisfying. And that's not rich and satisfying outwardly. You know, great job, great house, great this, great that, great all that. No, it's inward, inward, in here, in my, in my inner being. Is it rich and satisfying? Is there a contentment that's there? That's what he said he came to give. Do I take that seriously? Here, here's the thing. If Jesus is God, and we claim he is, that's one of our statements, Jesus is God, right? Then Jesus has to be, has to be the literal source of all life in our universe. Has to be, has to be, literally. No, I think so. I think Jesus has to be the literal source where everything comes from, where it originates. If this Jesus from Nazareth, this man who walked the earth, if he is God, then as Dallas Willard says in his book, The Divine Conspiracy, if you don't buy any books, buy that one book. It is profound, profound writing. Don't want to go off track here. But if Jesus is God, then this is what Dallas says in his book, The Divine Conspiracy. Quote, Our commitment to Jesus can stand on no other foundation than a recognition that he is the one who knows the truth about our lives and our universe. It is not possible to trust Jesus or anyone else in matters where we do not believe him to be competent. And can we seriously imagine that Jesus would be Lord if he were not smart? 
Once you stop to think about it, how could he be what we take him to be in all other respects and not be the best informed and most intelligent person of all, the smartest person who ever lived? End quote. Logic says, when you logic it out, that has to be true, that Jesus must be the most intelligent human being that has ever walked, that will ever walk the face of this earth. Has to be. Now, in my own life, I have come to the place where I am convinced, when I look at how the world functions, that Jesus, Jesus is the literal answer to our world's problems in every regard in every respect that Jesus nails it I'm convinced of that that if you're looking for meaning for purpose there's only one person to look to and that's to Jesus and I mean that from the bottom of my heart that he is the answer we need And he's the one who stands before us. And and he says to you, he says to me, I can give you, I can show you how to have a life that's worth living. That's really worth living. And he shows us that. And he teaches us that. It's interesting, in his letter to uh, the church in Philippi, the Apostle Paul is writing to this church. It's one of the churches that he and probably others planted And in his introduction, near the end of his introduction, Paul says these words to the Christians in Philippi. Paul says this. He says, I pray that your love will overflow more and more. (laughs) I pray that your love will overflow more and more and that you will keep on growing in knowledge and understanding. Don't move that slide. Okay. I want, when I say, do we take the words seriously? Do we really pay attention, not read just quickly over words? Paul puts two words in there that you grow not only in knowledge, so getting information, and we live in a time now and an era now that information, we have, I have all the information I need on this thing. I can get it. I can access it. So easy. But not that you'll just grow in your knowledge but in your understanding. And that word understanding means that you've taken what you've, this, this knowledge you've gained and you've brought it into your heart. You put it in here. It changes you. It, you've pondered it. You've thought about it. And Paul's prayer for them is that their love will overflow more and more as a result of their growing in knowledge and in understanding. And then Paul goes on, for I want you to understand what really matters so that you may live pure and blameless lives until the day Christ returns. And then he says, may you always be filled with the fruit of your salvation, the righteous character produced in your life by Jesus Christ, for this will bring much glory and praise to God. I'm here today to say to you, character matters. Hugely. It matters. And the question, Paul says, I want you to understand what really matters. And the question is, what is Paul talking about when he says what really matters? What is he drilling at? What is he going at? Well, it's the last part of the line there. That my life will bring much glory and praise to God. That's what really 
matters. That's what matters at the end of the day when all is said and done. Does my life, do my actions, do, do my thoughts, do my words, do they bring praise and glory to God? It's not about me. Not about that at all. It's about everything I do. Does it honor God? Because I can sit there, I can sing, I can go over here, I can, you know, I can do all this and sing my songs to God. But at the end of the day, if I'm a jerk at home, my life does not bring praise and glory to God. Now, thankfully, God is full of mercy and grace and patience towards me and knows that every now and then I may be a jerk at home. Not that often, (laughs) right? Not that often. But what matters is that that desire to live honorably before God is there. What really doesn't matter are my opinions. Doesn't matter what church I go to. It does, you know, a lot of those things that we think are important, those aren't things, you know, who I vote for, who I don't vote for. Those things don't really matter at the end of the day. It's how I live my life before God. That's what really matters. It's how I treat my neighbor. And by the way, your spouse is your neighbor, your kids are your neighbor, your parents are your neighbor. And yes, your neighbors are your neighbor. And your boss is your neighbor. And your employees are your neighbor. Everybody's your neighbor. So you got to ask the question, how do I get there? How do we get there? You get there, this, and this is just from my own life experience, but it's also what I read in Scripture, what I read in the Gospels, and what I read from Paul and Peter's letters and John and all the rest of them whose letters have made it into the New Testament. It's by making a conscious and deliberate decision to follow Jesus and only Jesus. That means the social media stuff doesn't, you know, doesn't trump Jesus, right? Not at all. That Jesus is your Lord. That Jesus is your one you follow. That your hope is in Jesus. It's not in a political leader. It's not that we got to have, if if only this person would get in, our country would be better. My life would be better. Uh Uh-uh. The New Testament's clear that we are foreigners here, that we are part of the kingdom of God. We are God's people, who, God's representation here on earth. We live differently. We think differently. We have a different perspective on this world and upon life. We see we do things differently. We don't do things like the world. The world doesn't shape us. The world doesn't have that influence. It shouldn't. It's Jesus that should have the influence on our lives. Jesus gets full on, full 100%. You can do what you want with my life. And that includes my thoughts, how I think, how I see things. Includes everything. Jesus gets it all. And the other thing to realize, being a lifelong student of Jesus cannot be packaged in uh, an eight-week course or a 12-week course or, you know, different discipleship programs. They are stepping stones in helping us get there, but there is no magic pill that does it, that, you know, if I go to this conference, gosh, then I will we'll have arrived at being the disciple that Jesus wants me to be. Uh-uh, uh-uh. It's a lifelong walk, step by step by step by step with Jesus. It's bringing Jesus as friend that you're in my life now, that the presence of God can be just as thick in your garage, in your shop, in your bedroom, in your kitchen, in your workplace as it is here. That everywhere you go is Holy. 
everywhere because God's presence is right here, right there. Wherever you go, if you're outside, inside, doesn't matter where you go. Jesus has to be my reason for being, my reason for living. My Lord, this isn't about a fad diet. Fad diets don't work anyway. If you've ever tried it, it's no good. They don't work. Why? Because we have in my mind, if I take a 90-day fad diet or fad program, where's my thoughts on that 90 days when this sucker's over? Right? And then I'm driving right to a donut store. Right? It's the first thing I'm thinking. That's not it. That's not it. This is my life. Jesus is the smartest person. If I want to be reasonably smart and follow the smart person. That's what I want to do. There you go. Not a fad. But the beauty is Jesus doesn't force us to follow. Doesn't manipulate. No manipulation. What you get, what you read in the Gospels is an invitation. Come follow me. Come follow. The reason the rich young guy couldn't follow is because Jesus offered. You want to follow? Go sell everything. Come follow me. Jesus was just touching a button on that guy. Jesus knew. (laughs) You got a problem with your wealth, dude. Give that up. It's an invitation. After wandering in the desert for, uh, what was it, almost 40 years, uh, the Israelites, uh, you know, they're just about to come into the promised land. And in the book of Deuteronomy, right near chap- chapters 29 and 30, Moses gathers the people together. Don't know how he did that with all the thousands of people they had. But anyway, gathered people together, and he wanted to address them before they go into the promised land. And it was words, no doubt, that the Lord had spoken to Moses. I want you to say this to the people. And through chapter 29 and 30, you hear Moses' address. You read Moses' his address to the people. And uh, at the end of them, there are some words there that are very pointed, but it's sort of like the distillation of those two chapters of all the address, that here is the thing I want you to say to the people at the very end, and they're words that are very applicable to us as well. And this is what Moses speaks to to the people. He said, today I have given you the choice between life and death between blessings and curses. Now I call on heaven and earth to witness the choice you make. And oh, that you would choose life so that you and your descendants might live. You can make this choice by loving the Lord your God, obeying him and committing yourself firmly to him. This is the key to your life. And the message that Jesus is the answer that God has a way for us to walk, to live goes all the way back to the very beginning of Scripture, that it's there. And I don't know if you hear God's, it's almost like you know, God's plea, but it's, it's Moses' plea to the people too. Oh, that you would choose life, right? Oh, that you would choose life. And Jesus stands to us. If some of us here are thinking that I'm checking out, I'm done, I'm done with church, done with Jesus, God stands before you and goes, oh, that you would choose life. And I have it. It's not found in anywhere else. You're not going to get life anywhere else. Not real life anyway. Not life that matters. And I know many of you probably identify with the words written by the author of that hymn I referenced at the beginning. Come thou found of every blessing. 
You know, where he says, prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. But the writer didn't leave it at that. The writer had to make a decision. He made a decision. And, and I don't know what was going on in his life when he wrote the song. But he, sing, he says these words. Here's my heart. Oh, take and seal it. Seal it for your courts above. And all through, there's been temptation to walk away. You can go in the Old Testament in the Psalms and the worship leader, Asaph, he was ready to walk away. He's ready to leave the whole thing. Done. Done. For him, didn't make sense. Life didn't make sense. How come the rich have these long lives? How come they get blessed? And yet I see those who love you, they're, they're suffering. What's up? I don't get it. That's what he says in Psalm 73. And he says, I'm ready. I was ready to pack it in. Until what? Until he remembered. He, until he, he said he came into the sanctuary of the Lord. And that's not coming into a room like this. Could be, but it was coming into that place of God's heart. And he heard God's heart calling him. He came so close, walking away. And so many people walking away. And I want to say to people, I want to say to you guys, don't put your hope in the church. Don't put it in me. Don't put it in any of our leaders. Don't, don't you dare do that. But the only thing you put your, your life in, whose hands, is the hands of Jesus. That's it. That's it. Jesus even had the wherewithal to say that while many people were following him, and I'm not, I'm not sure what gospel it is, but it says he wouldn't entrust his life to people because he knew what was in their hearts. And that wasn't a slam on people. Jesus knew where to put his trust, where to put his hope. He knew it was in his, in his God, in his Father. That's where he knew. That's what he knew. That's what he knew. Listen, I want you to hear me right now. We as churches, as we're gathering, we're returning with a limp. We're worn out. We're weary. We're tired. It's just been so much noise, so much. It's been a, it's been a long haul for us. I get the church thing. I get why people want to check out a church. I, I, like, I, I get that. But if you're thinking like stepping out of, of following Jesus, I, I, I got to say this to you. There's no other friend you're going to find who's going to walk with you, who's going to love you, who will never shame you, who will bring more than just meaning to your life. There will be a peace. There will be a purpose. And he loves you. And he called you for a purpose. And he says, walk with me. Come with me. Matthew, at the end of Matthew chapter 11, there's those words we're all familiar with where Jesus says, come to me all you who are weary, burnt out, tired, ticked off, you know, on and on and on. And he says, take my yoke. Learn from me. Learn from me the rhythms of life and find rest for your souls. So many of us are just tired. And Jesus is saying to you, to me, come to me. And I make sure I go to him every single day because I need him. I need him. I need him. My, my prayer for you guys is that if not today, if, if you're thinking of checking out, that either now, right now, as we come, as we just allow the Holy Spirit to come in and minister. And I don't care where you are. If you're, in your, if you're watching and you're in your living room, rec room, you're in your kitchen, if you're in your car driving, you're listening to this, the Holy Spirit can override all of that and be very present. You're not missing out on anything because you're not in person in here. 
that the presence of God is everywhere. And so, Holy Spirit, we just invite you to come right now. God, we are tired. We are worn out. We're limping. We, we look to you, Father, because you are the source of life, that we do claim that you are God, Jesus, and in, in that we recognize, we remember again that you are the smartest person who's ever lived and will ever live that you know what's good for our hearts, you know what we need, and you offer it. We pray on a regular basis, Lord, that you would give us today the bread that we need. And Jesus, we look to you right now to give us the bread that we need. Lord, I pray right now you'd speak to those who are, who are listening or some of those here right now who are just they, they hear your calling, but Lord, they're weary. And I, I just pray, Father, that they'll just respond to you and say yes, and say yes again, yes again, yes again, yes to you, that you do offer life. Just let the Holy Spirit come right now. Just let him come. Just let him come and speak to your heart. Let him show you where things are at right now. One of the beauties of just being able to have the Holy Spirit just point out different things in you is that you can work with that then. That again, I think we just again need to say, Jesus, you have my life. You have my life. That as that songwriter wrote, here's my heart, God. Oh, take and seal it. Seal it for your courts above. Lord, we pray that, that you would take our hearts and seal them, Lord. Come and heal them. Come and heal them. Make them whole. We thank you, Father. Just continue to allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you as we close off, as you go about your day, whatever that day looks like. Take time to allow Jesus to come and just heal. Amen.